HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. This week on Meet and 3, we celebrate Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month with an episode about memory. I've always read and sort of approached cookbooks for more than the recipes. To me, they are full of narrative content and narrative value. So Malama Aina basically means to take care of the land. For us as Hawaiians, it's taking care of our older sibling. But I do remember like definitely feeling like self-conscious about it, like being the only one who kind of wasn't eating a sandwich and like didn't have a bag of goldfish or Lunchables. Listen to Meet and 3 wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so here we are at uh, Cooking in Mexican from A to Z with myself, Aaron Sanchez, my, mo- my lovely mother, Salvador Martinez, and we have the unbelievable honor of uh, bringing to our podcast someone that I admire immensely. Uh, I say if there's someone that is comparable to my mom and her unbelievable force of nature as far as making sure that our cuisine and our culture is preserved and honored and celebrated, it's Marisa Presilla. Um, she is somebody that I just admire, I respect, I learn from her at all times. And uh, while we have my tia, we're just going to call her tia for right now, um, we're going to be talking about all things recados, okay? That wonderful seasoning paste that's used, yes, in, in, the, in, in the Yucatan part or Quintana Roo part of Mexico, but I have a feeling, because we all know each other so well, that the conversation is going to sort of go in many different directions. But first, I want to welcome Marisol Presilla. Muchísimas gracias, querida tía. Gracias por estar aquí con nosotros. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Aaron, mi querido sobrino. And Sarela, uh, mi hermana, my sister. Uh, you know, seeing you uh, is definitely uh, a pleasure. Um, you are my family and you represent so much of my career in the culinary world, um, I, I am pleased uh, for another reason, because uh, I see this as a very important project. Uh, it's not just, you know, that I see mother and son collaborating on something that is uh, so dear to both of you, but I think it's important. It's an important uh, legacy uh, for your family and for, for Mexicans uh, who are all over the world right now. Uh, and, and inviting me to come and speak about spices is even, you know, more important mm-hmm. for me because this is something that I have been studying um, essentially all my life. Um, That's why you're on here, honey. I'm a former <laughs> medievalist, medievalist. And so when you are a medievalist interested in, in the, um, the cuisines of Europe and, and the old world, uh, obviously spices feature prominently. Uh, and how spices got into European kitchens, and then how spices travel uh, to the New World and were incorporated into the many cuisines of our part uh, of the world. So, so it's it's really uh, a very um, substantial uh, and important topic. People need to understand the complexity of our cuisines, you know, and and the use of spices, the clever, intelligent use of spices 
in Latin American cooking is something that maybe people take for granted. Uh, maybe they focus too much on uh, our use of capsicums, but not on the clever and layered use uh, of seasonings yeah. to get to a great because, because effect. In the North, everybody thinks of cumin as being the only spice. You know, but exactly. You know, but then in Central Mexico, I always think of that combination of one one part cinnamon, one part cumin, and one quarter part of, of cloves as the the classic Mexican spice combination. Where does that come from? So, well, you know, you're talking about the DNA of a particular region. You know that you know that comes through in the interplay of different spices. You know, if you're talking about the DNA of Cuban cooking, but Cuban cooking from my part of Cuba, which is Santiago de Cuba, de Cuba is in the eastern part of the island, heavily influenced by Haiti and Jamaica. Well, we need to talk about um, cumin, but also uh, allspice. Oh, really? Yes. Um, if you look at my marinades, adobos, I always use allspice. But if you look at the marinettes of other parts of, of my island, which is a small island, uh, they don't use it. They, they have cumin, oregano, but I use Old Spice because we're so close to Haiti and Jamaica. And la, piment, la, la pimenta gorda, no? Right? Yeah, la pimenta gorda, la pimenta de Chiapas. Well, could I, could I, could I interject something there? That is the only native Mexican spice that there is. And when I was doing my series at Veracruz, they were harvesting and they would put it out in the sun every day. And you would hear the rakes moving it every day until so they would and the smell, yeah. the incredible smell, the incre incredible aroma. And the, um, and the people there use the leaves as seasoning. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and also the bark. You know, it's a, it's a plant related to myrtle, and uh, you know every part of the of the plant uh, has aroma and has culinary uses. So it's part of my DNA because you will always find allspice. In my, in my adobos, in my marinades. Uh, so the way in which we deploy spices, how we mix them uh, uh, on a dish, um, can tell a lot about who we are as cooks, but also about the forces that created our cuisines. Yeah. Uh, so you asked me where these things come from, and obviously if you were talking about cinnamon and cumin and oregano, not the Mexican oregano, which is related to uh, the verbena, is different. Mm -hmm. You know, it's but, a false oregano. Um, we have to look at the uh, the old world, and we have to look at the conquistadores coming in into the land that we know today as Mexico, uh, their new Spain, and bringing um, this um, these elements of flavor, but through a process because it did not happen immediately. So you have to understand the first Spaniards who said food. Um, in Mexico, um, with Cortez, came from actually my hometown. There were Spaniards who had settled in Santiago de Cuba, and then they sailed with uh, Cortez, and they ended up there. So what did they bring? They brought yuca bread, uh, dry beef, stuff like that. So they, you know, they, they did not bring the nice, the nice and aromatic spices that they were used to in Spain. Mm -hmm. That happened later. That happened later in waves. I think that at this point, what would be really helpful is what <laughs> spice combinations are assigned to like different ethnic ethnicities that come to Mexico. Like for instance, the Afro-Mexican Afro cuisine includes the cumin and the cilantro seeds. And, and you know, the different groups use different spice combinations and, and Yucatan uses all of them at one time. Mm -hmm. So yeah, but I think that's a good point. Let's talk a little bit about what are some of what what a recado is? I think that's important to maybe uh, define that because you know, Tia, I can hear you talk about spices all day, and 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 that idea recado. and recado. I love that word. I love love that word recado. And recado is kind of like a metaphor, you know, for like, it's you know metaphor. what I mean? You know, to like marinate yourself and get really tasty and delicious it's, it's more than that it's it's you know i mean it has this essential connotation mm. uh called recado recaudo yeah uh, it's used in many parts of latin america not only in mexico but you know what it means you know and and, and this is something that i uh i investigated you know i researched it uh, it comes you know it's, it's an old term and uh it has to do with that which is necessary 
Wow. Recado mensaje. Wow. Well, it also is a message. El recado is a message. It's a message, but in in the in culinary terms, and when you 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 say, and he, for example, a gaucho mm. uh, could have slept on his recado, meaning on his saddle. You know, mm. just put the saddle on the ground. But that was what he needed. You know, it's what someone needs. So, in a culinary sense, is that which you need to give flavor to food. And just for all of our listeners, a recado is a paste or is it a powdered mixture? It's usually a paste. Yeah, it's a paste, right? But in essence, can you get all of the ingredients? In the Yucatecan, in the Yucatecan uh, connotation, yes, it is a paste. Mm -hmm. uh, but you can find it in, in the islands, in Puerto Rico, a recado might be, you know, a combination of cilantro, culantro, um, with that tiny sweet pepper, yeah. dulce. Mm -hmm. uh, it's called recado. Maybe the cilantro is called recadito. So, I mean, all these words are, you know, just sort of navigating, mm. you know, in Latin America. But in the Yucatecan term, it's, you know, recado is a paste. Yeah. So, recado rojo, yeah. negro, etc. Well, in, in Salazazo, Veracruz, they grow bunches of hierbas de, de guisar, mm -hmm. you know, which are curantro, cilantro, uh, and, uh, and other herbs, and they, they just grow together like, like John does it, like John uh, Mooney does it. Mm -hmm. so, people, so people just grab it and, and sell it, and it's got the bay leaves. It's, it's just a wonderful thing because at that part, they don't use spices that much. They use this hierbas de guisar. Yeah. Well, I think, that, I, I think that's an important part to mention just for the home cook that's listening. People don't understand that herbs need to be cooked out. I think people associate herbs being used in seasoning paste as something that should be thrown in at the last moment because of the chlorophyll and the freshness element. But there are herbs that deserve to be added in the early cooking process of dishes. Yeah, of course. Give me an example, Aaron. And, an example for me would be culantro. The salt leaf herb. No, but she's talking about the dish. Oh, a dish, a dish. Um, I will give you an example. You would put something, um, you know, the rosemary, the thyme, all the wood herbs, but you would throw that in the earlier cooking part of, a, of, of the process if you're doing a braise or a pozole or starting, um, and starting like a bean mixture, for instance. And one of the things that I started to do is like I wanted to start soaking beans but I want to char vegetables and char these woody herbs and let that be part of my soaking liquid. You see what I'm saying? So the actual, so the actual soaking liquid has flavor. So what you're doing there is that you're talking about layering, which yeah. I think is the, the, the crucial aspect of most Latin American cooking and particularly Mexican is that layered flavor. Exactly. So in the case of culantro, I like to use culantro at the beginning, especially for beans, you know, mm -hmm. that broad, broad leaf, culantro, different than cilantro, you know, erinium petidum. I, uh, because it's so tough, I add it to the beans, you know, even whole, you know, no. just I don't chop it, I just add it whole. But also what I do is that I add uh, these herbs and seasonings at different moments in the cooking. So I might start some dish with some of these uh, herbs, but then, at, and then at the end, I might add a little bit of the fresh ones, you know, yeah. for sort of a more pungent. Just like my mom, after every dish was finished, she would grind up a, a head of garlic with a little bit of salt and put it in the dish. Mm. There you are, layering, layer. So flavor. you always had the flavor wow. of, of the raw garlic, which is so good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, it was, it was really good. So. I, I don't know. I think the, um, it's interesting about who uses the cooking paste and who uses the, 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 the spices. And I wonder what, it, what that's due to, because, I mean, the, Span the Spanish came here to find spices. Mm -hmm. And they only found the chili. Mm -hmm. well, an old spice. And, and, and an old spice. And, and old spice. And, old spice. and you would say, Dia, you would say that a lot of that came from their time in the Caribbean, picking up influences on their way to the New World, Right. Well, I mean, the Caribbean is in the world, yeah. Obviously, you know, you're talking about the greater Antilles, and mm -hmm. that's, you know, with Hispaniola, mm -hmm. you know, today, Dominican Republic and Haiti, that's, you know, and, and Cuba. Mm -hmm. So so these are the places where they found um, particular ingredients, including the capsicums, you know, that they took back to Spain, but also in this Caribbean stage of the process of a conquest, they found all spice. Mm -hmm. Well, I always think, I, I always think of, I always say 
that the that when the Spanish conquered Mexico, it had only been a hundred years since the Moors had been expelled, mm. and a lot of the spice combinations like the cinnamon, cumin, and cloves oh, are very, completely totally. Moorish. And mm. you know, I, there's a lot of dishes in, particularly in Veracruz, that are completely Moorish. You know, like that like that that almond soup. Mm. You know, so I think that that's one of the the influences that's not discussed as much in in Mexican food, you know, the, the Moorish influence? Mm -hmm. you Absolutely. You know, we are, you know, we are a lab, we became the laboratory of uh, intercontinental fusion, you know, in the Americas. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the settlers, the first colonial settlers from Spain had this incredible uh, cultural legacy, you know, from, you know, hundreds of years of Islamic uh, influence, obviously, you know, what Sarela points out, which is very important, is that these elements of Islamic cuisine were brought into the into the Americas. And, and, and the interesting thing is that we became repositories of very of an ancient culinary tradition that links Spain with the Mediterranean and beyond. Mm -hmm. And certain dishes remain that way, whereas in Spain, they disappeared. Oh, really? The complexity disappeared <laughs> in the Iberian Peninsula, not completely, but it did I mean, the use of spices just was not as important as it was in the medieval and Renaissance period. Uh, things change. But however, if we look at different cuisines in the Americas, particularly in Mexico, you find these ancient ways of cooking mm. that were very Mediterranean, the use of almonds and bread. And if you look at mole, you will see that one of the, uh, the ancestors of the mole, the mole as it was created, um, out of a pre-Columbian, you know, combination of uh, elements uh, and in monastic institutions, you find these bread sauces and nut sauces from Spain. Yeah. It's, it's part of the mole, uh, or the mole making uh, a technique, all right? So it's, it's always important to remember who uh, were the Spaniards at first, they settled uh, the Americas and the, that went to, to live in Mexico, who were the nuns, mm. you know, and the monks that came in yeah. and, and interpreted cuisines, you know? Let's talk about some iconic dishes that are made with recados, right? The, the, so our listeners can get a kind of grip um, what well, this, the Yucateca. Now we're talking about the Yucateca and recado yeah, particularly, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, the, the cochinita pibil. Yeah. Cochinita yeah. pibil. Oh my God, and the turkey, you know, the turkey with a mole negro, sarella, yeah. in the Yucatan. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh my God. I, I just, the, the, the mole negro, no, the recado negro, what am I saying? They, they had a very funny note, and uh, we were doing some research on it. It said, do not open all the doors and windows when you're making recado negro, because everybody's going to come running over there wondering why you're trying to kill them. Because it's so spicy. Well, I have to tell you, it is my favorite recado from the Yucatan. And I've eaten it with, with turkey. Um, and in fact, you know, there was a recipe I tasted uh, years ago that, you know, it's the, the turkey is cooked like a, in, a, in, in a pip, you know, pibil style, but with the recado negro. But then I, I made uh, turkey meatballs, albondigas de pavo with recado negro. It's, you know, the recipes in my book, Gran Cocina Latina. And I just, I think it's the most complex and exciting um, well, seasoning mix maybe you, ever. Maybe you can share that recipe for our, for our website. That would oh, be, I love that to. That would be wonderful. Yeah, it's, it's, in, it's, in, it's in Gran Cocina Latina, and I would love to do it. I, 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 have, yeah. a, I have a theory, maybe you agree with me or not, that a lot of the... Those dishes at that time, they used a lot of burnt things, you know, which is, which brings, you know, it's a natural antacid. Mm -hmm. And I wonder how much of that, the carbon, I wonder how much of that was thought through, you know, that because there's so many moles and so many things that have burnt tortillas, burnt chilies, burnt everything. I think it's a, it's a confluence of two, uh, of you know, of two cultures that had a similar idea about certain ingredients. You know, I know for a fact that this, this um, you know, roasting and over roasting is also very Spanish um, and, and as, as well as pre-Columbian. But the Spaniards had this theory of humors, you know, this Greco-Roman theory of health. So, for example, if they were dealing with chiles, they thought the chiles were too hot. 
um, for the for the body's humors, you know, mm. and they by toasting they they were counter out counteracting something that was considered bad for your health. Mm. What, what is the word in English? It's not humors. It's not something else. Humors, uh, humores in, in yeah. Spanish. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, this it's is the like all, of humors. this all like so so very interesting because it, they also have all these medicinal uses. You know, the spices mm. are still. I mean, every time I I feel something, I call my sister and she says, "Ojo de naranjo," yeah. the, you know, whatever it is, still curing with spices and and uh, and herbs, but mostly spices. We're talking. So let, just because you mentioned tia a little bit of the Ricardo the, the Ricardo Negro, what are some of the traditional spices, ladies? I'm referring to you guys. I know, but I want you guys to share with our. What are some of the traditional spices in the Ricardo Negro? And it goes with turkey. Old spice. It's definitely black pepper. There. Black, it's not, black pepper. Black pepper. Yeah. It's, it's uh, you know, and uh, I believe that cinnamon is there too. Yeah. And the um, and the idea is that the you know you're taking something that has no inherent flavor, like a turkey or a chicken, which is very. You mean uh, inherent flavor? Well, Excuse me. I know, Excuse but me. but not. But it has are inherent. Are you about turkey? I know, but but you are also growing them, and but I'm talking about mass-produced, right? Because your turkeys and your fowl eat something with a specific diet. But if you're talking about mass-produced uh, poultry now, you would want to uh, complement that with something that has a lot of flavor and action-packed, no? With seasoning and flavor. Like, what are your thoughts about that? Because back, you know, during the colon, you know, during the the period when the Spaniards came. Fowl had flavor. It ate all the little different things on the on the ground. But now, because it's mass produced, how do we combat that with? Well, you know, there's in, there's a, in Yucatan. There's a whole way of cooking that's very interesting. They double cook the things. They might grill the piece of turkey and then they finish it off in water, with 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 herbs and everything like that. Or they might do it backwards. They might they might take something that's cooked in a very flavorful broth and stuff and then grill it. And then serve it. Do you have mm. you seen a lot of those dishes, Maricel? I have encountered that, and in fact, you know, I have to say that when I started interpreting some of these dishes for my own cooking, um, I would do that naturally. I would, I would do that. But you know, I stopped doing it in in a way because you know I wanted to follow the recipes, you know, more closely. But I, it was invariable that you know, even with mole. I mean, I would always hesitate to add uh, a piece of, uh, you know, raw poultry or anything to a mole sauce. I would cook it before, or I would oh. I would use the mole, you know, on there. You know, it's like you know when I use duck, for example, yeah. duck breast, uh, and I sear that, and then I serve it on top of uh, on top of a you know a bed of mole instead of dousing the um, the duck yeah. with the sauce. But you know, I don't do that. I don't do that as often. Um, and, and in terms of, you know, the, the lack of flavor, I mean, the, there is, there are plenty of heirloom birds that you can get now, Aaron. Really. I know, I, I mean, know. I just, I cooked this beautiful heirloom, uh, turkey for Thanksgiving this mm. year. It was so delicious. It was so intense in flavor. Um, so, I mean, if you, if you care about that intensity, you can find it, pay for it though. Expensive. Well, that's what I was saying, Tia. It wasn't like I'm making a general. I'm just saying for for the common, you know, that doesn't have the common cook or someone at home that doesn't have access to those wonderful heritage birds. You know, sometimes the flavors can be a little bit muted. They don't have the complexity. So that's all. My only point. I didn't want to get anybody upset because I know you raised. But I have an idea here that you you know that uh, what I do with everything you know that any anything that needs like you know it's a sauce you're gonna have some broth added. So the, you know get the intensity from the broth. You know get your your chicken bones or your your mm. poultry bones and just roast them the way I do and then make a great. Uh, a, a great stock. Yeah. That's what I do. I, I cook everything in stock. I cook vegetables in stock. I mean, not intense ones, but I that's I, it. You know, that, that does it. Yeah, I do. I, I hardly ever use water to cook. Yeah, absolutely. Can we talk about the red, the, the mole? The, I'm sorry. I keep, I keep calling it mole. Why is it? Because I want to talk about the, the chote, the chote rojo. No, recado rojo. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Let's talk about that. Bibil, which I, I, I think is another, it's another great um, condiment. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's used so much. 
And it's probably the most popular recado that's known universally, right? It has I remember when, yeah, I, it. when I was in, in Marimba, we used to have this baby chickens, you know, with a recado rojo. And I remember that one of the customers asked me, what does it taste like? And I said, well, it has kind of like a earthy flavor. So then mm -hmm. I go back to the table after she finished. I said, so how did it taste? She said, it was great. It tasted just like dirt, just like you told me. Just like, just like dirt. I have to tell you, Zarela, and excuse me, Aaron, but I have mm. to reminisce. Mm. I met your mother at Cafe Marimba. Wow. Uh, you know, just be when I was a historian, you know, working on my dissertation at New York University, and I went there with my husband. First of all, I have to tell you that I love the way the place looked, and mm. I love the food, and I fell in love with the pato con pepian. Oh, we yeah. Had a dog breast with pepian, and I have never ever forgotten it and then i needed to meet the chef and that's how i met your mother oh wow but it was out of my passion and love for that particular dish that i thought it was you know absolutely uh, a genial idea and that's how i met sarela and i, I love the fact <laughs> that you brought up cafe marimba because you know i'm in meetings with all my team to expand our restaurants and they asked me what's the aesthetic that i want and i think about cafe marimba with all the pastel colors and then the big wooden slats going over the bar in the bar. It's very was, modern. It was, it was very modern. It was Maragán, you know? And you know, yeah. there are hardly any photographs of it. I have some photographs, but there are hardly any photographs. But I have to, I have to, before we get off of Recado Rojo, I want mm -hmm. to tell the story. You know, when we did that conference in, in, the, in Greystone, mm -hmm. where we had the regional Mexican food, remember? Mm -hmm. And Silvio Campos opened the opened the, with the first lunch, and he had... I remember Silvio Campos. And he, yes. had, and he had, you know, the cochinita bibil, and he made the siglipac, and he made all this amazing Yucatecan, and that was our first lunch. And we brought mm -hmm. him in afterwards to recognize him, and he started to cry, and cry, and cry, and cry, and cry. He couldn't stop crying. And finally, he contained himself, and he said, I thank the Culinary Institute of America for giving me the opportunity to put the name of my community so high. Mm, yeah. That was beautiful. Yeah. I remember it. And for me, it was great to see him because I met him in his community. And, you know, he, you know, he taught me how to do Cochinita Pibil. I just was there and I saw the whole process. And throughout that experience, he was wearing a very um, well-ironed and very prim uh, chef's a jacket like oh my god because he had been to chicago before and i think that you know yeah. he, he got the uh the, the chefs so he, he was very proud of of being a chef you mm. know more than although he was to me it was a pip master a pip master exactly pip master extraordinary and i remember distinctively you know that experience at, at the culinary institute of america but he was the master of the recado rojo and and to me you know the recado rojo is is really one of the great uses of, of achiote. And let's talk and about yeah, what, what, what is achiote and what is, yeah. Achiote. Achiote is a natto seed. Mm -hmm. But let's talk a little bit about what, what's more added to it, though. Well, vin vinegar or, or sour orange juice, yeah. cumin, maybe some of the Cuban oregano. All spice. But let's make the delineation so people that are listening, what, so you would get uh, an achote. You, you know, would get the or, seed. Or, I know, mom, I know. Espérame. <laughs> a, recado, a recado rojo or an achote paste. <laughs> what does that consist of? And, you Your know. Your mother told you already, yeah, but uh, if normally yeah. you would have to add, if you buy it in the, in the market, obviously, the it's not easy to make a recado at home yeah. because it requires the grinding of the soaked achiote seeds, yep. all right? And you cannot do it with mortar and pestle because you need to, it needs to be very smooth, mm -hmm, all right? Mm -hmm. So normally people go to the market and they get recado rojo. When I learned how to make it in Merida uh, with a very, you know, wonderful cook, you know, was, she was an elderly woman in her 80s when I met her. Uh, she's probably, you know, gone now. She would get the paste, but then when, at home she would add more spices. Mm. She would and, and, ro and roasted garlic. Pardon me. Roasted garlic or no? Yes. Mm. 
uh, and she would add all these things, and she would add uh, um, naranja agria, you know, the bitter orange yeah, to it yeah. at home, and more allspice. So she, and I, I think I wrote that in, in, in Gran Cocina, that anecdote, because, um, you know, most people do that. They just, they, they buy the stuff because of that, you know, it's a paste already, you know, it's easy to, to work with, and at home, they add more things. Yeah, to it. And they refresh flavors at home. And that's what we do at the restaurants, by the way. We got we buy el yucateco, whatever. If we're pressed for buy time, buy the achiote paste, right? Yeah, yeah, the achiote paste, and that's a way to doctor it up. And I think it's important to people there that uh, people that are listening. If you don't have sour orange, a good tip is to use equal parts of orange and lime, right? To, as a, as a as a quick substitute. If you yeah, and a little bit of grapefruit too. And grapefruit uh, as well. It, it, yeah. it, it, if you're not taking certain medicines, certain medicines say no grapefruit. Yeah. Oh, any statins. If you're taking statins, you yeah. cannot take uh, grapefruit. Um, but although people, you know, they do that. Yeah, I'm just saying so people can embrace the food, everyone, and be able to cook it at home. Okay, just, th This is kind of what we're trying to get accomplished as, as part of all that. It's just we want people to embrace our flavors, understand how to uh, take those uh, concepts and bring them into their home kitchen. So the base, the base is something that, you know, it, you know I've tried uh, to do it at home and it, it's been very difficult for me to get that creamy. Mm. Because you because you have you have to grind the seeds in the coffee a coffee grinder. Yeah, and then it, but it has to be moist and and I think it takes time. So I think the if you want people to cook with this, is maybe to get the achiote paste and then add all the other ingredients. I agree. Well, I want you to know that I have a recipe on my website www.sarela.com mm. for cochinita vivil mm. using arrecado. Well, I think that that you know that is that it's. That should be the beginning for everybody. Yeah. Cochinita Vivil is, is a dream. Mm. And if you cannot do the whole the, the whole pig, although if you have a cajachina, you can kind of do that yeah. in the middle of winter. Uh, but with ribs, you know, yeah. with meaty ribs, oh my God, and, and just all, you know, smother in the, in the recado rojo. And uh, there was a and then you can pickle red onions. You can wrap it in uh, banana. planting banana leaves, right? And then afterwards, you pickle up some pickle, some red onions. Make a, 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 a I'm so hungry right a now. A pico de paloma, which is made with habaneros and not not jalapenos. You know what, pico de paloma? Tell me about it because I, you know, for some reason it escapes me right now. It's like a pico de tell gallo. It's like a pico de gallo, but you use you use uh, or, sour orange juice and you use habaneros instead. And, and red and onions. Yeah, you make a pico. That sounds amazing. It's amazing because because of the. If if I may, ladies, if we can talk a little bit, <laughs> if, if we can talk a little bit about it. So if you get a recado negro, uh, recado rojo, recado negro, lo, lo que sea, what's the marinating time that you would do that with, right? So if you if you have a pig, right, or a pork shoulder, let's say that's more applicable to what people would get home. What is the marinating time, ladies, in your opinion? Minimum four hours, preferably yeah. overnight cover type. Yes. Yeah, you get, exactly. But also remember that uh, you're going to be cooking also that meat slowly. Mm -hmm. um, and so there is another process. You know, you, sometimes you don't need to be marinating for so many hours. Four hours is fine sometimes mm -hmm. because you're going to be wrapping this 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 meat in banana leaves and it's going to cook slowly you're not going to rush the process so there is a pro you know so there is a moment there for that goodness to penetrate yeah. the, the meat uh and i think that if you over marinate then you overpower the flavor of the meat and i don't think we want that well, we want it, it, the recados to be um enhancers but not something that will dominate the flavor experience. Well, you know, the thing is that the pork here doesn't taste like anything. We're going we're... <laughs> to... So let's go for the recado then yeah. instead of the, <laughs> the pork.
This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. So then, Mami, do you have some questions for, for Chef Baricel? What are you working on now? What am I working? I'm, I'm working on survival. Uh, well, that's what I... <laughs> you know, I, you know, I uh, had to close my restaurants. I know. Uh, mm. Because of the pandemic. And uh, for me, it's been, you know, a learning curve to live without them. Uh, also, you know, I'm doing just about everything. I used to have help and now I'm essentially doing everything, uh, becoming very almost self-sufficient. You know, I'm, I'm doing, you know, in terms of cooking, I'm cooking more than ever. I'm cooking, you know, three meals a day, seven days a week. I send my husband with, uh, with his food uh, to take to the office because he's a first responder. He's a physician. So he's been working throughout the pandemic. So he mm. goes with his food. Um, to me, that has been the silver lining, the fact that I am doing so much cooking and, and doing a lot of new, different recipes, new recipes, exploring all the cuisines mm. uh, besides Latin American. Uh, I, I do a lot of my shopping in Korean and uh, Japanese markets. So I have been cooking a lot of Japanese and Korean food. Um, like Rodrigo. Rodrigo, my other son, cooks a lot of Japanese food. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I go to these markets weekly. And, and so, I mean, that's the silver lining, the fact that I, you know, I, I make my own bread, I ferment. So I'm doing more, so much more uh, as a home cook and really enjoying that part. And in fact, I have to tell you, you can't see me because, you know, you can't mm. see me, but I've lost a lot of weight. You look yeah. fantastic. I mean, I'm, I'm down, you know, many dress sizes. So mm. um, my husband has lost weight. So it's the fact that we're home and, and I'm cooking uh, very deliberately things that are good for for us uh, without obsessions, uh, obviously, but exploring different ways of eating. Uh, a lot of whole grains and, you know, very interesting, you know, plant forward mm. um, foods uh, and also enjoying, you know, uh, the, the peppers that I grew in my garden in the summer, you know, which I ferment, I dry, you know, talking about spices, you know, mm-hmm. uh, we can't forget uh, chiles, yeah. you know, the capsicums, because, you know, they might be used as vegetables and to add texture to a dish, for example, in a mole, but they're also spices, you know, think about chipotle. Yeah. I just discovered uh, beans, like real beans, because mm-hmm. we had Steve Sando from Rancho Gordo. It's amazing, you know. I mean, I had I really had not cooked beans that much. I just got my new delivery of ayocotes. Oh, the ayocotes are amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they Puebla, they make like the best ayocotes. Uh, how do Morelos, they, you know, how do, they, how do they do them? Because in Oaxaca they make them with Colorado. How do they do them in Puebla? They, you know, they make they make them with with uh, with chiles also. You know, mm. like you know, it's a stew, and um, you know with other ingredients, you know, some oregano, some cumin, um, it's just delicious. It's very creamy. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't tried Steve's, but I, I might uh, order. Oh, you should. I think it's that's a, spectacular. It's a, it's a, it's a spectacular. Mm. But, you know, beans improve, not improve because they're great, but they uh, benefit from the use of spices. You know, it's, you know, when you, you know, and, and in fact, you know, I, um, 
I used to do a lot of the sofritos, you mm -hmm. know, for my bean soups. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that has, you know, that I have discovered is that sometimes you don't need that, that you can add things raw in different stages while you're cooking the beans and it's just perfect. You know, I have these beautiful clay pots um, and I just, you know, I add my chile, chile paste, different types mm -hmm. of chiles, the oregano, the cumin, um, whatever. You even mention cumin, and usually cumin in Mexican food is like, no, que se vaya el diablo que venga Dios. You know, mm. <laughs> you know I, I adore cumin. I have to tell you this, Arela. Mm. I mean, give me all the cumin in the world because I, I just cannot live without that spice. Oh, yeah, mijo, mm. you've been very quiet today. Are we over? Well, no, well, I mean, you, I'm with the two. <laughs> Two strong Latinas. What am I going to do? Just, I'm going to have to be very uh, respectful and very general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can say whatever you want. No. You know, please, I want to hear no. no, I just think it's interesting. I, ju I just think, you know, the idea of, you know, talking about the seasoning paste and, and how to preserve spices, I think that's important. I think one of the things that I do is I always put, I try to buy whole spices uh, at all times and then toast them yourself and then be able to grind them yourself and have uh, dates and seasoning paste that you can make on your own. You know, I think that's something important that the home cook should know. And you should also recycle all your spices. If it's been in that cupboard for too long, then you're not utilizing it. So things like that, that our listeners can get, get around, you know, and, and make you a little seasoning. Talking about the, uh, the paste, the iron, uh, for, I don't know if you do that, but I imagine you do, and Sarela, you too. Uh, it's using different moles, you know, mm -hmm. as, see, you know, seasoning ingredients, you know, not thinking about that great pot of mole, but having them as a seasoning paste. I use mole. Yeah, me too. Sauces. You know, you know, or beans, for example. Well, we That's did a good at the idea. What we did at the restaurant that was very interesting is once we made, you know, you, and that's interesting. You, you brought up mole, tia, but the idea is like you don't pass a mole. You don't put it through a sieve, right? But what we've done, if we've gotten, you know, chihuacle negros and we're making mole negro, uh, sometimes we will pass a little bit and then take that residual chile and seasoning and thickening and dry that out in the oven. And, we'll, and so we have this mole seasoning paste that we Oh, that's use. a very good idea. That's, that's very... a great idea. I love it. And so you get chihuacle, Aaron? You get chihuacle? Where, do you, where are you getting it? Is well, I mean, it, it's very expensive, so we, that's why we don't do it very often. Um, but, you know, Mexico, uh, the, the gentleman, the chili guy in, in New Mexico gets mm -hmm. me some on occasion. Um, but the idea is like taking all the residual uh, mole and all the, the grind and then toasting that overnight and then using it as a seasoning for steaks. Okay, and so when you're making a mole and, and you, you know, when you're straining the mole, just keep that and then, you know, layer it on a, on a baking sheet and dehydrate that. Yeah, and dehydrate, it, right? and dehydrate that. And then you can buzz. I love that. And then you can mix that with salt and then use that as a finishing for a grilled steak, for instance. Well, you know, or, little, I, or, or to crust or to crust some lamb, you know. That sounds like fantastic. Crust lamb with that? God, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, see, well, with me, it's different because what I do for the chilies, because they're so hard to strain, what I do is that I toast the chilies before I put them together. I put them in the mm. oven, toast them slowly until they're, they have that little sweetness, let them cool, and then I grind them. And that's mm. very easy to add to the, to, the, to the mole paste, you know, where you have the Oh, you do that. Mm. I, I don't. I mean, that's a very, that's a, that's a, you know, different way of doing things. Mm. Well, you, I, mm. I, I, I sometimes soak them, but it's so much easier to do it this mm. way. And, and it mm. adds that, that toasted, wonderful feeling. You know, mm. I mean, try it. Guys, what are your favorite moles? What is your favorite moles, Arela? Mole de Jico. I have, I have oh. that, I have that on my page right now. From on my web page. No, from how about you? Veracruz. From Veracruz, uh, Aaron, and yours. I love my my uh, mole negro from Oaxaca, por supuesto, con chihuacle. Um, but I, I really am starting to learn about the different iterations of the mole poblano. It's probably the most celebrated mole in, in uh, at least in the States. Um, and I started to learn all the different nuances behind it, how much of the chili huajillo you use versus this. So I'm really starting to get into the most iconic mole, which is the poblano. 
know? That's good. But you know, I mean, talking about spices, that's the perfect example of how spices were deployed, mm -hmm. you know, in the colonial period, you know, when moles took the shape that, yeah. you know, we know uh, today. When I went to Puebla, I went to Piaxla, and I had a completely different mole from when I went to Tetla, for instance, another little town in, in Puebla. I had two. So what was the difference, Aaron? What I was mean, the difference? I mean, the difference was the sweeteners, I thought. And I thought also, um, you know, one particular region used a lot more, um, a lot more chocolate. And then one reason actually put, instead of uh, the traditional bread or the thickener, they use, uh, of all things, uh, animal crackers. And the animal crackers gave a really beautiful sweetness to it. And I was like blown away. You remember that that time that, that in that same conference mm -hmm. that it was Yolanda Serrano mm -hmm. and, uh, and 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 uh, Santis, Roberto Santisteva uh, was uh, Santibanes was translating. Mm -hmm. And yes, they said, "Vas a la tienda y compras las galletas más corrientes." And he was speaking English. The most ordinary crackers. Yeah, and mm -hmm. he was speaking in English. He says, "You go down the aisle of your supermarket and you come to the to the." to the biscuit section and you look at one of them and you say, my God, how cheap. <laughs> no mames. So he said that at that conference. Oh so my we, were, God. we were all laughing. My can, God. I love, I, I, you know, Molly for me has become, uh, you know, I, I had to, you know, work very hard to understand the, uh, the organization, you know, of the, of the mole ingredients. Uh, when I was writing my uh, my mole chapter mm -hmm. for Gran Cocina Latina, and then for you know the last my last book, Peppers of the Americas, I think I'd, I had learned something by then. So my mole coloradito is something that I really like. Mm -hmm. um, and and I tell you, you know, I these are my best friends in the kitchen. So I have this this mole paste mm -hmm. in the refrigerator, and when I'm cooking, you know, maybe even a rice dish that I need, you know, instant seasoning, I just you know I add a spoonful or so of, um, you know, of mole. And I get this beautiful reddish seasoned rice, you know. Oh, that's a good idea. I use it as a marinade for things. It's a good, see, I do, I use the I paste. I make like a lasagna, well, not a lasagna, a layered casserole with plantains, cooked plantains, ground up, a, a, a smearing of the mole paste, and then black beans. What, mm. what mole paste do you use for that? Puebla. And, the then, and I just put it like that, or whatever I have, and then mm. another layer of, of, of beans, and then at the end another layer of, of the of the plantain. It's fantastic. So I, if people knew, you know, how to um, how to use mole beyond, you know, the iconic, you know, big pot of mole, you know, with the turkey and whatever, they would be making moles more often. Um, because I think nothing beats the complexity of some of these moles. Uh, and to me, they exemplify, you know, what we were talking about today, you know, the, the, the use of spices um, that that influence from the old world, the combination of the um, new world ingredients, such as chiles um, Tomato. You know, and, and Tomato. spices. It's, it's brilliant. I know. Yeah. And one of the things I would love to rehash and maybe bring up a new for a new episode Tia. i want to talk about rice and i oh, would yeah. love to and i would love to have you and my mom would love to have you back on to talk about rice dishes and i think that's something that has been completely misunderstood and underappreciated so i, I think we're going to have to do that for the next one okay baby well, i'd love to do that and and i have to say that um this has been such a pleasure for me, oh. you know, in a, in a day that, you know, an unexpected pleasure is so welcome. Thank you oh. so much. Uh, oh, we love having digging you. Out from the snow, seeing your passion undiminished mm. and, and your understanding uh, enlarged, you know, by time and experience. You know, this is and, and it's, this is useful. Mm. You know, these conversations are useful because now I just feel like I want to pick your brains because you know, we're talking about different ideas, you know, the, you know, this dehydration of the, uh, the residue and the use of it for, um, you know, to create other things. Uh, Sarela talking about that lasagna, you know, with and platanos then, and, and mole. Uh, and Marisa, uh, and, and, and then and toasting your chiles and your vegetables and putting them into your soaking liquid for your beans 
to create that other layer of flavor. You know what I mean? Boom, boom, boom. Yes. You know? I have to so, try that because you're really I into that. I don't understand through, you know, they get anything from our conversation is that our food is very complex. Yeah. You know, I, I'm proud of this complexity because obviously, you know, we're always reminded that other cuisines are so complex mm. and, you know, that they have this, you know, these protocols and, you know, talking about French cuisine and things mm. like that. But my God, look, you know, look at the ingredients of a recado negro mm. and a recado rojo, the time it takes to prepare these things, the, the complexity of flavor, aroma and texture. Mm. Think about the, the moles and there are many uses. Isn't that extraordinary? Yes, what does it tell you about us? I mean, we're fabulous cooks. I mean, this layering is the mark of, of great Latin cooking. And we have, and we have to go. I know we have to go, but I just want to say that we all know that our grand cocina Latina is all, it's a matriarchal um, cuisine. Women dominate and women have always been the guide and the center force of our cuisine. So to have two, yeah, to have both of you here is a complete honor. So we want to thank Marisa Presilla. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if you want to really delve deep in all things uh, Latin cuisine based, please look up her book, La Gran Cocina Latina. It's literally the Bible of all things uh, beautiful and delicious in, in our beautiful cuisine. So please make sure you look up Marisa Presilla. And we want to thank you so much, Tia. Gracias. Thank you, baby. Gracias to you, Sobrino, and mi hermanita Zarela. Okay, Love baby. Las saludos. Cooking in Mexican from A to Z is powered by Simple Cast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without your support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.